0: This is Tom Kuzmanis, former Canadian men's national team player, uh, nine-time Canadian champion,
1: and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind.
2: It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams.
3: Welcome back to the ProSource Podcasters. I'm your co-host, mister Wallace Newellis-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how are you doing?
2: Living the dream and yourself, sir.
3: I'm good. I'm very good. It's uh, We've got a lot going on in, in Canada in terms of football and in terms of both kinds of football that, that are going on up here. So who better to talk about it than Mr. Matthew Shinidi?
2: Close. <laughs> Shinetti.
3: Shinetti. We're going to do that again. <laughs>
2: it's, <okay. laughs> it's all
3: good.
4: It's all good. It's all good. It's all, good man. all
3: right. All good. So you, you would have heard him and seen him on TSN. He's also a writer from the National Post and the Edmonton Journal. Matthew Shinetti. Matthew, how you doing?
0: Oh, well, boys, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting with you both.
3: Indeed. Now, just to get the ball rolling, we had confirmation from FIFA last week that Canada will have two cities hosting the FIFA World Cup in 2026: Vancouver and Toronto. Now, it was widely expected that those two cities were going to get get a, I guess, a ticket to the to the dance. But as someone who's spent time in Edmonton and written for the the local paper, what are your thoughts on Edmonton missing out, Matthew?
0: you know i have I have been to Edmonton uh, a number of times
3: now matthew the the World Cup is coming to Canada in twenty twenty six FIFA announced that Vancouver and Toronto will be host cities, but one city that was omitted was Edmonton, a city that you know very well so what do you what is your take on that
0: uh I think given the entire selection process knowing how big this World Cup is uh, and knowing the passion of those in, in Hamilton. And they, just gone, they had just also gone through a municipal election over the last number of months. I, I won't say it was ill-advised, but certainly coming to FIFA in their initial proposal and saying there was an expectation of a certain number of games, a certain number of knockout games, irrespective of the long history and the um, importance of Commonwealth Stadium, It's never, I won't say wise, but it's never advisable to to kind of lay the terms out to FIFA uh, about what you're expecting in order to get selected. Uh, And I know uh, my colleague Solomon Balji said that uh, Edmonton, the city council and the stakeholders in the city will be going back to FIFA to understand uh, or at least do a debrief from the process. Edmonton has hosted... um, Countless uh, FIFA events before, obviously, most notably the 2015 Women's World Cup, where Christine Sinclair scored in Canada's first game in unappalling stoppage time. So it's it's it, it'll hurt for Edmonton, uh, undoubtedly, but you certainly can't take away from the bona fides of both Toronto and Vancouver. Vancouver already having hosted the Winter Olympics and was one of the host cities and the and the city for the final of the 2015 Women's World Cup. And Toronto being a multicultural city that hosts a number of international events, the I think the thing that is going to be interesting, given the size of the World Cup, our increasing understanding of climate change, I imagine the the desire of the you know given where the World Cup will be in Qatar uh, in this coming November, how small and contained that'll be versus the expansive World Cup in 2026, um, I imagine there will be calls for some kind of sustainability, and that might mean that canada playing in both cities vancouver and toronto may not be a possibility i'm not saying i have any inside information but it might be something to look at given that given the 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 time constraints of preparing for one group game to the next i'm not entirely sure canada's men if it is john herdman as the coach or someone new uh in four years because a lot of things can happen in four years that they're going to want to travel from vancouver to toronto or the other way for their group games so uh, even though Toronto and when they make all their adjustments to BMO Field, the renovations and all the things that they want to do in and around City Hall and the exhibition grounds to accommodate 200,000 fans in their fan zones, um, it'll certainly be a tremendous World Cup hosting city, as will Vancouver, because Vancouver's already done things like this on a number of stages before. But Canada playing in both cities might be a challenge come four years from now.
3: Yeah, and I'm going to co sign that, Matthew, because. As you may detect detected from my accent, I'm not from around here. I'm from Australia. And Australia is co-hosting the Women's World Cup for New Zealand in 2023. And that is going to be across five cities in Australia. Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, and Adelaide. I can tell you right now that the Matildas, Australia's national team, will not be going to Perth. They, they're going to be yeah, playing. That yeah, group.
0: Perth being on the other side of the country. Right. <laughs> the side so,
3: con- that I mean, Perth. I grew up in Perth. We're used to it. We're used to being left out for a lot of things. So it's, yeah, the Matildas will be an East Coast team for the group stages. I, I don't think Perth gets a knockout game anyway. But um, yeah, I, w- I would doubt that Canada will be playing in both Toronto and Vancouver. I guess in terms of getting as many bums on seats to watch the national team, Vancouver would be ideal. But who knows? Uh, and also, just to tie a bow on, Edmonton, Again, with my Australian experience, good luck if you're wanting to get feedback from FIFA in terms of a review because I'm still trying to wonder what happened with the 2022 process because Australia was up against Qatar and we know what happened there.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, listen, uh, transparency and and FIFA are not synonymous. (laughs) If, uh, you know, certainly Gianni Infantino during the World Cup show the selected show saying uh, he could get tickets for the host because he quote knows a guy. I don't I, I couldn't have thought of a more on the nose moment for uh, uh, for 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 an organization that has had has not had but has as many skeletons in its closet as FIFA does.
3: Yeah, I mean they didn't want Michel Platini to become the general
2: secretary because
3: he, they felt he was too corrupt. So that's saying something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> skeletons in the closet. That kind of reminds me of. Um, the skeleton key movie i don't know why i was just thought about that but anyways <laughs> and also that, that scene from scary movie 2 where the skeleton chases the girl and then like take the head off or whatever it is that is,
0: that is a that is a that is a deep cut that, that's a hat tip for a very deep cut good for you very good thank <laughs> you
2: <laughs> now speaking of bmo field we're going to switch professions ever so slightly uh as you can tell nia's from australia and he absolutely hates Canadian football. He thinks it's the worst thing to the face of the planet. <laughs> I didn't say that. Actually,
3: I, I would take Canadian football <laughs> over the, the Maple Leafs. We can have that conversation another
2: day. <laughs> Anyways, so Nii nee posts a lot about and our, our associate Kobe, a lot of the NFL drafts and, and stuff like that with NFTs and what to do and they do very successful on it. I am the only one of the three of us who actually pays attention to the CFL. And I was the only one that was excited when Andrew Harris, although he's 35 years old, came to the Argos. Now, you are from Edmonton. Do you favor the Edmonton Elks, or are you kind of just like because you're an analyst, you're like whatever goes, or like do you have a race in this horse?
0: I have. I covered the CFL for eleven years now, and by the way, speaking of those who don't like the CFL, I was about to mention that I'm actually a fan of the West Coast Eagles in the, in the hey, NFL. Hey, we're friends. Having watched, them, <laughs> having watched them in the grand final in 2018 and, and, and liking their style of play, although they're having a, a terrible season this year. Although I'm going to keep that now in my back pocket because, uh, you know, I, uh, I I am wise to those who are critical of the CFL. I mean, uh, all kidding all kidding aside.
3: No, no, you're, you're a West Coast Eagles fan and so am I, so you're you're good. You can come back on the show anytime.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've covered the CFL. I've been fortunate to cover it. This will be my 12th season and spending a lot of time covering the, uh, I have the Tiger Cats, uh, Toronto Argonauts. I've covered the Auto Air Blacks for a long time. I have covered the the, um, the former Everton football team and I've covered the Blue Bombers and, I, and I've been in every city. And the one thing I've tried to do in my career covering the CFL, especially now that I'm on the sidelines, uh, is never tip my hand. I will always tell people that my only unfortunate passion in football is mm-hmm. I'm a long-suffering, if if not idiotic New York Jets fan. Um, oh, and I, oh, no. uh, I have appreciated the CFL game and have been fortunate and certainly have been a fan of and friends of players and wanted certain players to be successful in, mm-hmm. in big moments. But I find kind of being a detached party, a lot more fun because there are times in games that I've covered uh, where, you know, speaking of the last Great Cup that was in Hamilton, uh, it would have been an incredible story for the Cats to win their first Great Cup since 1999 in their home stadium, much like they did in 1972. Yep. But to watch the Blue Bombers come back, go to overtime, win the way they did to be back-to-back Great Cup champions and set up a season in which they could be the first... 3p dynasty uh in 40 years i mean i'm a fan of good stories great players and incredible moments unforgettable moments so i've always played that card and and the one way i i try to i guess walk that fine line is being fair to everybody and i think that's the one thing i would tell those in my profession when you have a job like i do or been privileged and blessed to have a job like i do is fairness if it's always your calling card and it's always the way that you in my case, broadcast my work. You'll find that no one will ever ask your allegiance, and no one cares because they know that you're just trying to tell the best story possible. And I know that sounds like I'm avoiding the question, <laughs> uh, but at the same, but but in all fairness, I've been in love with the league for a long time. It's been very, very good to me. Its communities have been very good to me, and I consider it more of a, a community of, of nine teams and and thousands upon thousands of fans that have been nice enough to welcome me into their big family, and uh, it's it continues to be a pleasure to cover the CFL.
2: That was a brilliant answer. Uh, we've had Matt Cause on here before, and he was just, <laughs> basically, he was all about, like, the Argos, and he was like, here's what we need to do to win. And I was like, that's fair, <laughs> Matt, good job. And then insert some wine stuff, and we're like, all right, there yeah. you go.
0: <laughs> very, very true, very true. <laughs> uh,
2: actually, in a past life, too, in a different podcast, uh, Neve was fortunate enough to actually interview... Um, jack armstrong too and he's although he's very much well, i'm sure you've met him before for the raptors he's very much like a one-sided kind of person like he'll he'll tip his hat where he needs to but for the most part we know where his hat is permanently tipping
0: i can tell you i've you know what you might think it's with the raptors but i have had the pleasure of covering the raptors in brooklyn and the only place that jack armstrong's heart is has been and will ever be Mm. is in brooklyn yeah and uh not not necessarily brooklyn nets mind you but just the the borough of brooklyn i mean that, that man, i've I, I, I never thought i would see a moment where a man could walk into random restaurants a guy on canadian television who was the coach at niagara and have a friend in every room it's uh you know jack armstrong it's uh he's 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 an incredible guy and yeah i mean just a just a pleasure to work with and, a, and an absolute awesome element
2: to our raptors coverage and he's so, an absolute legend
0: yeah he's he's a
3: he's a treasure He's a national treasure. I do want to point out, I don't mind the CFL. I, <laughs> I don't hate the CFL. Like, my co-host is intimating. It's just like, I don't watch a lot of it compared to the NFL, but I don't, I don't hate it. I mean, it's good to see some of the guys get a go that, that may not have had a chance in, in the NFL. I do like the, the offensive play. My question is this, Matthew. It's a nine-team league. When are we getting the 10th team coming through?
0: you know the one thing i'll tell you about me uh, a part of me will always belong to the maritimes spent many years in and around prince edward island in nova scotia i'll be fortunate to go out there for touchdown atlantic in about two and a half weeks but the maritimes is a place that is kind of an island in canada given our immense size uh you know public funds are hard to come by, and in this era where owners are always looking to have a quote unquote fiduciary relationship with a with a public, uh, whether a city or a county or a province or what have you, it is a tricky proposition. And and the biggest, most unfortunate casualty of the COVID pandemic on the Canadian sports landscape was how it. I would hope it has stalled and not ended the possibility of bringing a 10th team, uh, especially one out to the Halifax area, because obviously the the stadium plans were in place and there was a lot of forward momentum toward bringing a team and the, the long awaited Atlantic schooners, because I do believe much like the Rough Riders are a huge draw in Regina. Yeah, That if you tailor it to the culture of the place, and the culture of Maritimes is home and community and a very distinct identity within the country that you could have a franchise unlike any other in the CFL that would finally bring balance and parity. But we'll see. Uh, I am excited to get to Wolfville uh, on the uh, campus of Acadia University to see the Rough Riders play the Argos in mid-July. But where we go from here with the 10th team, uh, that is really up to the stakeholders in the league and honestly, an owner who can, yeah, I'd love for an owner with deep pockets to go ahead and suit with them. There are many of them who have deep pockets, who have a connection to the Maritimes, but it always comes down to, for owners in the CFL, your return on investment. Yeah. And I would hope that there, that there is a willing party, an ownership group. That looks at the potential possibilities, the marketing, the partnerships, the community possibilities within um, within the maritimes, and says this is a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. If you know, I'm not I'm not saying that you know I'm not in any way implying that there's some guy or or, or some group or some person or some woman who who can say, oh yeah, I've got seventy five million dollars just to gift the people of of uh, you know Halifax to build a to build a twenty two. I think the stadium they wanted to build was between eighteen five and twenty two five. Uh, would have been a community facility, but I hope there, I hope that someone still has the passion to do that because to have a tenth team and one that finally brings the uh, the community and the culture and the people of the Maritimes into the Canadian Football League would do nothing but certainly add to, you know, the competitive balance of the of the CFL. But it would just be an incredible cultural add. The legacy of the Canadian Football League,
3: absolutely. And do you think it helps that there is already a presence in another sport that uses similar conventions with the Halifax Wanderers and the CPL as a selling
0: point? Yeah, I think so. You know, the CFL has some uh, CFL. The CPL has some CFL connections um, with ownership groups and executives and the like. The Wanderers have seen success. I have heard from those who live in the area that uh, it's a great time to watch The Wanderers. But the one thing that you need, and I think seeing the success of the Red Blacks, although it's been a tough couple of years for them, but seeing the success of the Red Blacks when they came back to the CFL, I think really showed the Board of Governors that, hey, expansion is still possible, but the economics are different in the Maritimes. Anyone who's lived there will tell you There isn't the same kind of public funds. And when there are public funds, there is a real passionate movement within the community to make sure those public funds are used properly within uh, the region. And even though I know there are many people, I remember speaking to to, to people within the Halifax area who were excited about the possibility of the CFL, but were the first to say, I don't want my public funds spent on a Canadian football league team. I want the CFL here. But I don't want public money spent toward it. There are, and you know, there are possibilities to make it a, a you know, certainly a a group of investors to to come into the community and to, and to really reap the benefits, as I said, of, of a community that would be incredibly loyal to a very maritime influenced Canadian football league team. But trying to get people to agree to to accept. To allow their their public servants to just give public money away for for a football stadium has always been, a, or any sports sports venture out in the Maritimes has always, always, always been a difficult proposition.
3: Mm-hmm. What? There's a chance. Oh, there's always saying a chance. A chance.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there, there, there is a chance, and, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see as the years go on and the CFL. I remember the day of the the day a March. 14th, 2020, uh, I was in the the TSN newsroom and the last little bit of work that I did before we all got locked down was getting information on the expansion of the seating capacity that they wanted to bring to Halifax because I believe it was on the campus of St. Mary's University because they had sold out tickets in minutes. And Mm -hmm. you know, uh, true enough, again, on the campus of Acadia, they sold out 10,000 seats within an hour. So I know the CFL is looking to do a huge... Three day uh, event leading up to kind of a, a small little Grey Cup week heading heading into the game because obviously the Rough Riders have a have a national follow uh, national if not I can tell you I've seen Rough Riders gear in Hawaii so they have an international I following know. but uh, the thing is. This I imagine is is another opportunity for the CFL to 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 really sell itself to the area, not only to potential investors, which I am sure the commissioner Randy Ambrosi has spoken to, although I don't know for certain, but I would I would be surprised if he hasn't, but really to sell to the community again that the CFL, as it has in Saskatchewan, in Winnipeg, in Edmonton, in Calgary, has always been Uh, a real source of strong community connection, and it could be even more so in the Maritimes. Oh.
1: This episode is brought to you by the good folks at New Smile. Just use the code PROSPORTS to get $150 off any of their Tifa lining kits. So turn up the dial on your smile with New Smile. Now on to the show.
2: Yeah, it's just to touch on that real quick, my dad's actually from Newfoundland, which isn't a maritime province, but it does have East Coast connections, obviously. And one of the things my cousin was saying was if there it does come to Halifax, since the pandemic, the song Wellerman has really become popular. Yes. So they were saying to change it to the Halifax Wellermans. And I was like, that just sounds interesting, but okay. <laughs>
0: I, I, I Listen, if anyone who's ever been to the Halifax Harbor, who's ever enjoyed the lower deck, who's ever been on Argyle Street can tell you that there is no better party in this country than a party in the Maritimes. And I can attest to that. <laughs>
2: Yes. George street in uh, Newfoundland guy. Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, you know know what I, I once all the time I spent in the Maritimes, I I, I was, it was just happened to be the year in 2015 when, when there was fog, the fog was rolling in and I couldn't get a chance to to go to St. John's, but uh, it's the one place in this country I haven't yet visited and I cannot have wait to have a pub crawl and get screeched in on, (laughs) on St. George street.
2: Yes. I want to take me and Kobe over to Newfoundland to get screeched in. It's uh, it'll be a fun time. Uh, Now also, Touching on the CPL, but now kind of jumping a little bit over, how familiar are you with the CEBL?
0: Well, uh, I, certainly, you know, over the last number of, of weeks with uh, J. Cole and, and everything that's happened with the Scarborough Shooting Stars uh, has uh, certainly brought it to the fore. And I think everything that's happened with Canadian basketball and, and knowing some of the stakeholders with the CEBL uh, I think we, we have seen uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of justified excitement uh, around uh, around that basketball league.
2: Perfect. So that's kind of what I want to touch with with the because when they when Scarborough Shooting Stars signed J Cole, all right. If you look at his resume, it wasn't impressive. He played like three games. It was one point seven points per game, one point seven rebounds per game. So he wasn't exactly selling himself, but he's J Cole, and he's going to sell out arenas, and he did just that before he went on tour. So the Scarborough Shooting Stars obviously made profit. Signing him wasn't supposed – like it wasn't a uh, a tactic to get them to the finals to win any championships. It was to line their pockets with money. Fantastic. Now with the CPL, can we see them do something similar? And I only ask this because FC Edmonton, I know on their Twitter, either they, – they, I don't know if they did it actually, but they definitely on their Twitter, when Messi was leaving Barcelona, they're like, we're going to put a bid in for Messi. Just like I don't know if they actually <laughs> did or not, but – Could you see the CPL doing something similar like the Shooting Stars did?
0: I think, you know, I know those who are involved with the CPL. Uh, I know their connections with the CFL. I know that these are smart business people. And I'm not implying because I also know Mike Moriali, who happens to be the commissioner of the CEBL, And he is himself a a smart business man. And I'm not saying J. Cole was a gimmick. I mean, anyone who's, who's certainly watched anything to do with J. Cole over the last... Five to ten years knows his passion for basketball, of course, uh, and this was just an opp, uh, you know, certainly an opportunity, and and it, you know, it was a certainly a beneficial business opportunity for for all the for especially the tebl but you think about the CPL and looking at the MLS model, and are they going to have a David Beckham designated player moment? Now, obviously, Major League Soccer having certainly recently and going to be enjoying a. Prolonged contract with Apple TV and north of $2 billion to have the, you know, the exclusive rights, worldwide rights to broadcast and stream all MLS games, I think is a high watermark moment for a league that was once basically not subsisting, mind you, but that was getting a lot of its revenue from uh, expansion fees. And now is getting, you know, not a lot, but getting uh, enough money uh, to, to, you know, drive revenues from selling younger players in Canadian football. Uh, Canadian soccer fans will certainly know the money that was uh, given to the Vancouver Whitecaps for the sale and, and Major League Soccer for the sale of Alphonso Davies. And likewise, New York, uh, New England Revolution enjoying the sale of Tejon Buchanan. But will the CPL have a David Beckham moment, a uh, designated player moment can their economies like that of the MLS uh, in a country that's 10 times the size of It has a much larger media market, has a much larger sponsorship market has a much larger uh, base of franchises to, to build off of. I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying it won't happen. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, there isn't a, a social media campaign where uh, you know, certainly with their ties to Atletico Madrid where Atletico uh, Ottawa might say, you know what, maybe we try to, uh, to entice Antoine Griezmann to come play in in Ottawa in the uh in the latter days of his career. Uh I don't know, but the next step for the CPL is going to be interesting because all eyes are on that league now as we head to 2026 because one of the I won't call them preconditions, but one of certainly one of the implied uh desires of FIFA is to grow for the professional game in every country where it certainly plays the world cup. And and that's obviously was one of the reasons why major league soccer came to, uh, came into existence uh, because of the 1994 world cup in the United States. But what is the next moment for the the CPL? Certainly uh, Canada soccer business and the Canadian soccer association having a prolonged partnership now, uh, their, their media infrastructure with one soccer, all the things are in place. But is there going to be a moment where a deep pocketed owner says, you know what, I'm going to try. Maybe it's not a, a messy, but maybe it's, you know, maybe it is not a sec. I won't call them a second tier player, but maybe it's trying to bring over a player who has success. Who's won a champions league, who has been, you know, integral to a club, a successful European club. And 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 they come over to play for Canada. Certainly Milan Borean has mm-hmm. said that he'd love to come back and play for Forge FC and, in Hamilton, the the Canadian men's national goalkeeper who is doing, you know, has 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 certainly cemented his legacy with Red Star Belgrade. But uh, the, I, I'm I'm as interested in as anybody else because what you want to do is you want to keep enticing talent because I think, and I I'm not speaking for the major stakeholders of the CPL. But they don't want it to become a league where a Sunday league where guys who can never really play major league soccer or can never really play anywhere else play in the CPL because we have I have seen some fantastic moments of skill some incredible goals scored in the CPL and and certainly what they have built out in Calgary built out in Pacific FC and obviously what they've done as back to back champions uh, in Hamilton with Forge has really showed that the competition and the culture of winning is in the CPL. But where they go to next, how they can have a star build upon and and be a a revenue-generating source, that involves a certain amount of risk. Major League Soccer took a risk when they brought David Beckham over and continue to take risks when they went ahead and planted seeds in a number of markets like Charlotte and Nashville and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. What will the CPL do next is going to be a huge question.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I'd like to see, again, I'm biased, and I'd like to see an expansion team in Newfoundland, but I don't know how much that can hold up. I mean, the Newfoundland Growlers have done well, both as the CBL and in the uh, CHL, the Eastern Coast League. And the NBLC has the St. John edge, too, or they had the St. John edge. So I think St. John's would be a decent pick if the CPL were thinking to expand. But you're right, they definitely need to kind of get almost lesser known, but also still known talent from bigger leagues to kind of like almost give them a nod, like a shake in their direction. Like, yeah, this is worth my time kind of deal, which is what David Beckham did.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, clearly Kyle Becker has been one of the higher paid players and done and been incredibly successful with, with Forge and Hamilton, Mm -hmm. but bringing somebody over who has an established premier league career or a La Liga career or a Serie A career or a Bundesliga career is what you're going to have to do to make it even more enticing because after a while, the conversation then becomes, as it has been with the CFL for a long time, is it just not a minor league, but a secondary league to the bigger league in the United States. And mm-hmm. knowing those who are involved, the stakeholders with the CPL, they are not about making something appear minor. I mean, I, I've covered the the Hamilton Tire Cats and, and, and Forge for a long time, and they have a lot of the same stakeholders in both leagues. And for them, it's about creating an atmosphere and ex- an experience that fans and players can enjoy so th- there will be no th- there's go- there will not be any half measures there i think there will be a, a risk taken a jump at some point but i don't mm-hmm. there will not be any half measures with uh with the guys at the cpl but they're going to want to make a statement ahead of the world cup
2: perfect
3: yeah matthew you touched on the the apple tv deal with mls and I'm mindful that you do work for TSN, so there's an impact there going forward. I'm not t- wanting to talk about that specifically. I want to talk about, the, I guess, what that means to the future of the MLS and whether there will be more Canadian teams. What what does that look like for you, I guess, with this new deal coming into place?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I can't certainly, as you, as you point out, can't certainly speak for, for what will happen to TSN because there are far more important people who make far more money than me who will be making those decisions uh, at an executive level. But I, I can't say this. It is a tremendous – there's a lot of – we talk about taking a big swing. It's a big swing on both ends because I don't necessarily think this model would happen with the NFL because the NFL makes a tremendous amount of money with having – and we've seen the level of production increase and with bidding for analysts in the NFL, I mean Joe Buck leaving Fox to go to ESPN only happens because the NFL creates an environment of competition between the networks. Mm-hmm certainly that wasn't happening with major league soccer and it's almost hyper regionalized and this is the one point that i always make to soccer fans who you know i i have the the benefit of having a foot in the cfl and mls and international soccer uh, with tsn and people always ask me well you know the cfl Uh, I don't don't watch a CFO game. I'm like, yeah, but it's one of the biggest rating drivers for us on TSN. And the reason is, even though it feels like a hyper-regionalized league, it's not. Saskatchewan Roughriders fans will watch Bombers games. Uh, Alouettes fans will watch Toronto Argonauts games. BC Lions fans will watch Edmonton Elks games. And that's why sometimes our lowest rated CFO game is still sometimes better than a, a moderately good Raptors game. And now that there's a lot of factors that go into that streaming is, 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 is a big part. The the demographics of, of those who watch the NBA is much younger than those that, that watch the CFL and that's the CFL's challenge. But with soccer, it's so funny because for a sport that is so international, the fan bases are hyper regionalized. I'm a Manchester United fan. I love watching as much as I despise them. I will watch Liverpool play West Ham United because I I love the game, Mm -hmm. but Oftentimes, we we at least in the ratings, we're not seeing Chelsea fans watching Arsenal games. We're not seeing, uh, you know, w- Wolverhampton Wanderers fans watching Leeds United games. At least we weren't. Uh, when I can imagine the deal, one of the reasons the deal that that TSN had with the e- that the EPL then uh, went to you know DAZN. It's gone to Fubo TV. It's it's moving around. But uh, I always encourage canadian soccer fans if you're a vancouver whitecaps fan watch tfc games Mm -hmm. watch them like car like building a culture is that's because unless you want to like we certainly subscriptions the subscriptions as they are with linear television is it's subscriptions and advertising with streaming you just have to buy the streaming service and i think major league soccer understanding the fragmentation of its uh, of its viewership, hyper regionalized again. You know, uh, the Seattle Sounders fans may not al- may not always watch, if ever, Columbus Crew games. Mm. I think they're saying, okay, we'll have one spot, one access point for all of our fans. So even though we are hyper regionalized, we're funneling everybody to the same source. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the production is. Is Apple TV going to be producing? Because having been involved in hundreds of broadcasts, I can tell you there's a tremendous amount of infrastructure and engineering infrastructure that goes into putting a game on and a tremendous amount of money. They're spending a lot of money. So how does that affect the broadcast? How are these all of these hyper-regionalized fan bases going to go ahead and, and uh, who often have you know, their own tailored broadcast on regional broadcast, how are they going to go to one source? And the only other league I could see this working with because the NBA has League Pass and, and already does a streaming service of its own. The only other, you know, NHL maybe, but I, I, I'm interested to see. But primarily Major League Baseball, because Major League Baseball is also hyper regionalized. Mm-hmm. So uh, going forward, it certainly uh, is going to be a brand new model for, I'm not going to call Major League Soccer a second-tier league, but if you look at NFL, and the NBA being like kind of the N- the NFL being the number one league in the United States and the NBA kind of occupying, you know, that number two. And sometimes there's a back and a forth with Major League Baseball. You know, the Major League Soccer is trying to fight the NHL to occupy that fourth spot of the t- the quote unquote top four leagues or maybe expanded to a top five league. Mm-hmm. And going to Apple on a billion dollar deal, which is unlike anything that Commissioner Don Garber has ever experienced in his long tenure as the commissioner of Major League Soccer is certainly a win, but it's a heavy risk for both sides. For sure.
3: i got to say, after 2026, I think it'll be entrenched as top five, and it'll probably, like you say, it'll probably push hockey down. Justin's not going to like this because I know he loves his hockey, but hockey is doing a very good job of shooting himself in the foot, and other leagues are going to pass it soon if they don't sort their house out.
0: The one thing about Major League Soccer that take the hyper regionalized argument that I already gave is going to be a talent retention and talent acquisition. the The arrival Lorenzo Insigne is huge Mm -hmm. because Lorenzo Insigne, okay, maybe he's not in the prime prime of his career, but he's still in a significant point in his career, and he's coming over much like David Beckham was. I mean, David Beckham had just won a, a, a La Liga title and came over, so he and he was still a very very good and Certainly successful European loan player. So I think it's kind of similar. But Major League Soccer has always wanted to entice, you know, the big moment for Major League Soccer. So if the CPL, if their big moment is going to be, can they have their David Beckham moment and bring someone, you know, a veteran player over and create some buzz? The big swing moment will be not when Kylian Mbappe is... You know, 32 years old coming to play in Major League Soccer, but a Kim, Kylian Mbappe type player saying, "No, I'm not going to play for PSG. I'm going to go play mm. for New York City FC," mm-hmm. because then things start to then then things start to change. Because then it's like we've got one of the hottest players in the world who is in his prime playing now, playing in Major League Soccer. So Lorenzo Insigne, I'm sure Don Garber will hope. Is not the the the, the arrival the, the first arrival of many, but hopefully an indication of that next phase for Major League Soccer because that's it they, they've got they've got incredible. I remember in two thousand and seven when I first started covering that they talked about creating a footprint a, sp- a soccer specific footprint in every city they were in because they were talking about RFK Stadium you know in in one of their premier franchises at the time and you know, DC United being an absolute tomb because it was huge and antiquated and had uh you know one of the more passionate fan bases in the league but it was a terrible soccer stadium and now you know they only had one in Carson City for the Los Angeles galaxy and now we have seen all of these incredible soccer specific stadiums starting being built or already have been built you know FC Austin has a has a great one it's FC Cincinnati has a great one but that next move after this television deal is bringing a young star over or a couple of young stars and finally cementing not just Major League Soccer is a top five league in North America, but Don Garber's long held the mission to make Major League Soccer a top five league in the world. There
3: we go. I, I gotta agree with that. I think we saw some green shoots to that when Miguel Amiron came up to Atlanta before he ended up at Newcastle. I think that was an example of someone who could have gone to Spain or done the usual route from South America to a league in Europe, but he said, Nope, I'm going to the MLS So I do think we'll see more of that down the line. This episode is brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's most trusted sports book with betting options
1: available from every sport you can imagine. From futures and moneyline betting to real-time live betting during games, Sports Interaction offers its customers the most competitive odds in Canada.
3: So head on over to our website and sign up today as Sports Interaction also has a nice deposit bonus if you click on the link. It's available in every province from coast to coast. Now, back to the show. Now, Justin, you yes. have to take off, is that right? I do indeed.
2: I have the good old night shift to attend. Um, but before I do go, I uh, just have a real quick question for you there, boss. Sure. Have you ever had a poutine before?
0: Oh. As the son of a, a hardworking woman from uh, Ville d'Anjou in Montreal, I have certainly had my fair, my fair share of poutine.
2: Perfect. I'm glad you said it that way because most people don't say it properly. But I, ca- I cater to what I think is going to be my audience. Um, and last but not least, which style is your favorite poutine?
0: Ah, uh, um, goodness. there's a gour- there's a gourmet poutine place in Montreal, and you know what? I-, I I know it's going to be a cliched answer, but there's nothing like. Warm gravy, fresh cut fries, and cheese curds, and and just having them sit there for just a little bit, so the warmth of it all can make it just a little stringy and melted. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm not saying I'm I'm a I'm, uh, meat and, uh, and potato as well, you know, uh, cheese curds, gravy, and 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 uh, fresh cut fries, simplicity kind of guy, but I'm also saying that at the same time, so just a very 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 traditional for me, and not as a late night snack, not as something where. You've enjoyed a few adult beverages, and you're looking for something to uh, to soak up the alcohol. I, I enjoy kind of sitting down with a cold beer and just enjoying uh, some nice poutine as uh, as my dinner. So
2: there, we there you go. All right, boss. It was a pleasure, and I'll make sure to follow you on all socials after this. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, mate.
3: Absolutely, and you can find Matthew Shinetti on.
0: Uh, They can find me on uh, TSN Shinetti and on Instagram, uh, they can find me at TSN underscore Shinetti. S-C-I-A-N-I-T-T-I.
3: There we go. Not
0: to be confused with Cincinnati. (laughs) No, not to be confused with Cincinnati, although the lovely people at uh, the uh, 2021 uh, Final Four did uh, did confuse me with uh, Cincinnati, but I give them a gold star for creativity.
3: Talk about hyper-regionalized. Now, anyway, moving on. (laughs) I'm going to ask with your fandom of the West Coast Eagles, have you tried a Pavlova before?
0: I haven't, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm not as, in, as in immersed into the West Coast Eagles cultures. I like to be, you know, partly because uh, Australia, at least that part of the world, I believe, is anywhere between 14 to 16 hours ahead. Mm-hmm. But because TSN does have some, some games, uh, after I go to the World Cup, I am looking for, although I know the AFL doesn't play in the middle of the summer in Australia, I am looking forward to, to actually going down. Perth is a long way away, mm. uh, but I would love to go watch uh, the West Coast Eagles play because uh, the grand final in 2018 was, was pretty awesome. But I will certainly be, be asking you, if I do make the trip, all the things I can enjoy because just as there's a different culture in, in the CFL, uh, I am well aware that the AFL has its own different kinds of trappings and trimmings that I got to get used to because if I'm going all that way, I have to do it right.
3: Absolutely, and yeah, if you get a guernsey for, I assume you'll get a guernsey for the World Cup next year, the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. That will be right during AFL season, so it'll be a great time. If you get across to New Zealand, you'll be able to check out some rugby. I hear they're pretty good at that sport. So,
0: <laughs> I have been to I've been to the South Island, New Zealand. I've hiked in Queenstown. Mm. I have uh, rugby is a another part of my life, having covered the. Um, uh, the 2011 men's team before they went to the World Cup mm-hmm. and traveling to the Churchill Cup in the uh, in England. So I uh, rugby is, uh, is a sport that's very, very near and dear to my heart.
3: Nice. Well, if we had more time, I'd ask you some questions about rugby. But one thing I do want to ask you is, what is the timeline for a, a women's league in Canada or, I guess, an outlet for women to play club football in Canada?
0: Uh, I think that's an excellent question. I have the absolute pleasure of knowing Diana Matheson, the legendary player for uh, the Canadian Women's National Team, an incredible, incredibly intelligent and business-savvy woman who is part of a, a group of women who are trying to answer that, that one question. And uh, I think the most incredible aspect of all this is this seems like there's kind of inevitable momentum here and it's dragging us to this point where there will finally be when that is i don't know but knowing the people who are knowing the women not just the women but the men who are involved in that pursuit i i mentioned before the cpl taking a a big swing trying to bring someone over what it would mean actually to have a women's league take shape in canada have a, a woman's team that's like the portland thorns where their talent retention Obviously, Chief among them, Christine Sinclair, mm-hmm. and the culture that's been created in the club that's served a great purpose uh, in calling out accountability to the women's League in the United States. Uh, it would be it would be something I think that would be uh, cherished in, in Canada. There is always, as the, as the CFL can attest to, there's always a challenge given the size of our country, there you know in terms of expenses and getting that investment and facilities. But there are smart enough people, smart enough business people. There are people who are so good at, at every aspect of, of, um, of, try, of sports development in this country that I just think that the passion and the dedication and the intelligence around it will, will prevail. So I can't give you an exact date. I can't tell you when it will be, but I have every confidence that I imagine with not the next decade, hopefully shorter than that, much shorter than that, we will be enjoying uh, women's professional uh, soccer. In Canada, I, I don't want so far as to say it's a it's it's a guaran- it's a guarantee because especially over the last two years nothing is a guarantee. Mm-hmm. But knowing the people involved, it's a it's a tremendous possibility that I don't doubt will happen.
3: There we go. We, we hope to see it and we'd love to see it. I'm, I mean, I think of Jordan Houtema. She went from PSG to OL Rain, which is, I believe, the closest professional club to where she's from in BC. I'm sure she would have loved to have. Going to a club based near her hometown on the other side of the border, but not yet. I'm sure that'll come. Now I, I got to ask, Jordan was part of the gold medal winning team at Tokyo in 2021. The men's team are back on the big stage in Qatar in November. Are we entering a golden decade of Canadian soccer?
0: We are already in it. And I think there are, two, there are three ways to look at it. One, The talent that we have in this country on the men's and women's side is unlike anything we've ever experienced, and that has to do with the makeup of these teams. These teams are teams that reflect our country. They are teams of of immigrants who come from parts of the world where football is the only sport that matters, that being soccer. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the benefit of that. And I think the third thing, the third I won't say pillar, but the third person that has to get a lot of acknowledgement here is John Herdman. Uh, John Herdman has come and uh, use his considerable technical mind but also his psychological approach to make talented canadians feel like they matter Uh, and i I give a tremendous amount of respect to the man and his process as a coach i know that those who played for him on the women's team have a tremendous amount of affection for him and and i know those in the men's team do as well what we are about to what we are about to embark on over the next 20 weeks will be unlike anything we have seen in this country ever. I think it started by what the women did and the, and the obvious windfall in terms of a, going back to a professional women's league, there were millions upon millions and millions of people who got up early to watch Mm -hmm. the women beat Sweden on penalty kicks in the, in the gold medal final at Tokyo, 2020, Tokyo, 2020, uh, 2020 played in 21. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, but what is going to happen? With the men preparing for the world cup you know certainly it was dulled a little bit i think by what happened with the uh the labor dispute i think it's fair to call that between canada soccer and the men's team but it's best that that happened now because the momentum that's going to happen when canada then gets together again in september uh, hopefully uh to play games in in europe for world cup preparation when they start to come together to play are starting to train ahead of that game against Belgium in late November, things are going to change in Canada real Mm. quick. uh, Because, and if Canada were to have success, get out of the group stage and play either Germany or Spain, who they would play in the next phase of of the tournament the round of 16, and it's a possibility given the talent on this team Mm. that that could happen. You're talking about numbers of people, ratings, advertisers, sponsorships, that no international sport in this country has ever experienced i was very lucky to have been and privileged to have been in qatar for the world cup draw and, and and part of tsn's broadcast team then and i will be going to qatar for the world cup in november and i'm i'm preparing myself for a once in a lifetime tournament given you know, i don't think we can we can overlook everything that that happened as you guys mentioned earlier but qatar getting the world cup but mm. Knowing the players on this team, Alfonso Davies, Tejon Buchanan, Stephen Vittoria, Richie Larea, Milan Borean, Stephan Estacchio, and, and not to say anything of the veterans like Daniil Henry and Samuel Piet, and all led by the ageless Atiba Hutchinson. Mm. This is a team that looks like Canada. This is a team that plays, I think, the way that we all want Canadian soccer to be, not hoof it up and...
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And big bodies, and 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 just hope you, you get something. But this is a team that plays tilting the field. Tejan Buchanan is one of is one of the emerging one v one players in Europe. We know that Alfonso Davies is a world class talent. Jonathan David is one of the best young strikers. I'm talking about you know under twenty three mm-hmm. in uh, under twenty four under tw- in around the twenty three age in in Europe, having already won a league on a title and going up against Neymar and Kylian Mbappe this is a an incredible time to be a fan of Canadian soccer notwithstanding everything that happened in 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 Vancouver i just think that what happens over the next 20 weeks building up to that is going to be crucial and what the team does it has an opportunity to not create history but to build on the momentum because for all intents and purposes this is the dress rehearsal for t- for 2026 yeah. And I imagine all of the ta- if we had no idea who Tejon Buchanan was 18 months ago. Think about all the talent we will learn about 18 months from now. Think about all the talent that will be on this team in 36 months from now, or 48 months from now. When like it's it's we have watched Alistair Johnston come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden he's worth a million dollars in the MLS marketplace, going from uh, SC Nashville to to CF Montreal. That is a Canadian right back. Mm-hmm. If you had told me that was going to be the case 10 years ago, I would have said, what are you talking about? Everything has changed. So uh, it's a transformative generational moment in the sport in this country. And all of the growing pains that were absolutely going to come because of that, I think are all part of the process. What is already a golden age of Canadian soccer for both the men and the women. But I think ultimately will be a moment that we look back on. We talked about before. Major League Soccer being supplanting hockey as one of those top four sports. Hockey is part of our, our blood, uh, our blood in this country. Certainly, another hyper-regionalized sport. And we can have discussions and, and friendly debates about the value of it uh, in the years to come with the growing new Canadian population that's coming into our country. However, I will say this: Canada's men's success added on to the women's success will not necessarily make soccer the sport in our country, but it will no longer be on the fringes. Soccer in this country will no longer just be guys talking about it in pubs on Saturday and Sunday mornings or playing or playing leagues like the one I can see outside my window at nearby Lamport Stadium in Toronto. This is a sport that will become a part of the fabric of our country uh, and, and no better team to represent it than a team that looks like Canada, like John Herbman's men's national team. i
3: love to hear that. And it reminds me of, I guess, Australia's watershed moment when the men's team broke the drought and went to the World Cup qualifying after beating Uruguay in two thousand five, John
0: Aloisi scoring the great penalty. Aloisi, yes, that sent them to a uh, a rather unfortunate end from Francesco Totti in two thousand six, which I know a lot of Aussie, <laughs> Aussie uh, Australian <laughs> yes. soccer fans uh, will not want to remember. But you know, maybe this is you know knowing the connection and and, and the importance of the national sport program that Australia has. I imagine Canada could do far worse than Australia has done uh, in being at the the last three four World Cups. It's it is you know Canada can learn a lot from what the uh, from what Australia has done in the men's program. Indeed, and
3: you touched on the I guess labor dispute. Absolutely, definitely get it out of the way now. I mean, don't be like some other countries that leave it right up until kickoff. Yep. It just changes the outlook for the tournament. I, yep. I know that. You know, it, it's not necessarily the fault of the ad- administration. It's, they haven't really had to deal with this for 36 years, but better to evolve and to learn from it now than to have issues down the line. Absolutely. Now, Matthew, taking off a lot of your time, I've just, I don't have to let you go.
0: All right, mate. Have a, have a great evening. Great to talk to you.
1: You too, mate. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com.
3: On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel,
1: and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter.
3: So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience where no sport is left behind.